Okay, so we are live, and this is portion discussion. Kitisa. All right. This was my presentation. This was your presentation. Was that last year to the homeschool community? Yeah. How did you do? Not good the first time, but good the next time. Good for you. So you got better over time. Well, Fine actually, wine is the same way. It was the same. As you see, Ki Tisa is, I guess it's always the week of Purim. And so yeah. the day of the presentation, it didn't go very well at the co-op. But then that night, we had people over to read the Megillah. And so that's when we did it again. And it was and awesome. it was very good. Yes, indeed. Good so for you. it was actually on Purim. Nice. Well done. Well done. All right. So I don't think I've ever at man. I don't think I've ever asked the two of you, but did your parents ever teach you the Ten Commandments? I already know them. You already know them. Mm -hmm. I do too. And you do too. Do you know them? Yes. Do you know them in order? No. No. So if I asked you for the first one, would you know what the first one is? Love your God. Good. And if I asked you for the last one, the tenth one, would you know that one? What's the last one? No? Don't cover? I know some of them probably. Okay. So I know all of them but not in order. Not not out of order. Okay. I just know a few. Well, I was hoping there'd be more people here that either wasn't family or wasn't so intimate with our family. Um, but you know, did you learn the Ten Commandments from your parents? Yeah. Yes. You sure? I mean... <laughs> sound it sounded like yes. <laughs> yes, okay. So um, for those listening in Gastonia or parts even further away, um, we learned the uh, Ten Commandments using our body and getting those pieces parts so we knew those. So I was going to check and see if you knew. Yeah. You don't remember that? I remember doing it. First, second is the eyes, third is the mouth, fourth is this one. Let's why the neck for number four? Because they're a stiff-necked people, and we talk about that in this portion. And if they're stiff-necked, they don't want to keep the. They don't want to keep the Torah, and specifically. They don't want to keep the Sabbath, fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Five, honor your... Honor your father and mother. Good. And then six... Do oh. not... Do not murder. Do not murder. Seven, where we're different. Do not, do not commit adultery. Exactly. And then two in a row. First... No, that's not 10. That's at the bottom. Do not steal. steal. And then what happens if you steal yeah. something? You will lie. lie. Don't lie. Good. And then don't covet. Good. So we got the Ten Commandments. And those were sent by email, right? From God <laughs> to Moses, right? Was it, was it an encrypted email? No. No? no? How did he get them? He built them, but God wrote on them. That's exactly right. He built the tablets, the second one, and then God wrote on them. Nice. Do you think he wrote it in Chinese? No. I don't think so either. Do you think he wrote it in Japanese? How about Korean? No. I don't think so either. How about English? What letters? You think it was in English? What language does God speak? Hebrew. Stereo Hebrew. So he wrote it in Hebrew. Okay. Good. Well, probably Hebrew with no vowels. I would... I would also be interested in learning if it might have been Egyptian, because for they had been in Egypt for 200 plus years, mm -hmm. and I wonder if they still know Hebrew, or if God had to reteach it. But That's it's a basically good... heresy to say that the tablets could have been written in Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> before, you throw, before you throw them under the bus, let's try and reason with the young man, because it's a good question. What is unique about the Hebrew language? It's, it's, the, it's one thing that's unique to Hebrew that no other language can claim. What, what would that be? 
It's written from right to left. That's clever. It is written from right to left. I didn't think about that, but there are other languages that are right to left or up to down. But the Hebrew language is the only language of the people where the people were destroyed or dispersed. So they didn't have a country. And yet, the language persisted. This has happened at least three different times for the Jewish people. So the idea that maybe they forgot Hebrew in the meantime is, I don't think, borne out by two things. One, history, and two, the names of their children right before the exodus. right? So, cool thought, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, the lingua Kodesh, the holy tongue. Lashon Kodesh. Yes, I was trying to do some Latin. That, that was I thought a we mixture Latin. of Hebrew no and Latin. Latin. Okay, so the, uh, yeah, the holy tongue. Yeah. Okay. Seems to be Hebrew. So, we have to wonder, if God went down onto the top of the mountain and Moses went up onto the top of the mountain, you don't think they did Egyptian? Latin? Yeah, they probably, they probably did Hebrew, which is pretty cool, which means that God can speak in the language of men rather than the language of angels, which is described in the scriptures as being something that's too guttural and uh, ethereal for us to actually do. Right? Cool. All right. So now you're in the background. True Baptists. It's okay. They have their pens out. Yeah, their pens. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Okay, so you're going to listen, right? Write down some notes. Yeah. All right, Gregory. Yes, shall we summarize? I think we should. This was a... It was a big portion. It was a long portion. It was very long, especially... Wasn't it interesting, side note, that the beginning couple, Aliyot, were so long, and then the... At the end, yeah. They were really short. Yeah. But there were some things there that I would have put in a separate aliyah because I thought they were so important, but they were kind of lumped in with other stuff. So lumped in. what did we see in this portion? So if I were to try to categorize or, or summarize this portion into about five points, it seems that the beginning part, we hear about things involving the sanctuary. Right. Even the half shekel that was collected was for the sanctuary. And this was a sort of a, a run-on from the last portion. Right. Where everything was being built or described so it could be built. Right. Subcategories of this would include the labor, the anointing oil, so on and so forth. Yes, sir. Um, before we What? Before we continue further, shall we bless God for the food and for the land? A righteous man in our midst. <laughs> If we must obey God, I'm glad you're here to remind us to do so. So, shall we do the shortcut? Okay. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, for the food and for the land. Amen. Amen. Nicely done. Thank you for remembering. So, that would be the first bucket in yeah, my yeah. mind. And then yeah. the next bucket is... is very important, and I think it's interesting that it sticks out in this portion, but it's Shabbat. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very interesting. And I would say number three, well, the Golden Calf. Let me, so let me back up before you get to the Golden Calf, which is a real downer for Micah. Okay. So I'm just thinking that we had at least one portion before this that's describing what needed to be made. Yes. Constantly reminded that Moses was shown a pattern on the mountain. And then we finish up all the last of it, which includes the garments and all that, and whatnot. But then, I thought we had the guy and his helper that had been supplied in order to make the stuff. So now it looks like we're ready to start building. And then to your point, wait a second. Here's a, here's a reminder. Now that you know how to make everything, and now you got a guy that can help you make everything, you can't make anything on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to find in the next portion or two, when they finally finish building everything, that they get another reminder, almost like bookends of the Sabbath. Yeah. Pursuit Design's commentary this week was talking about how the, the, one of the explanations why Shabbat is paralleled here with mm -hmm. all of the things that needed to be done and Aholiav and Betzalel 
was that you would think that the creation of the tabernacle, of all things, could be done on Shabbat. Top shelf. I mean, obviously, this is the holy work. Of course we would do this. And it's going to make God dwell among us. Right. But it's inserted here to remind you, even the building of the Mishkan isn't okay on Shabbat. You know, it's, it's interesting... Um, the 39 melachot, or the things that we're not supposed to do, and the reason why my wife doesn't knit or crochet and so forth on, on the Sabbath, is because the 39 melachot, or the 39 work tasks to build the tabernacle, that's where they get what we're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. It's like, well, the, the generic don't, don't labor is cool, but what's the specifics there? And this is where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. The very tabernacle that they're already commanded to build and now got a guy to actually start building it. Mm -hmm. Who, by the way, has a couple of big pieces of gold that he's supposed to turn into something else. Mm -hmm. Don't cut anything off. Don't make it into two pieces. Just start with this and a hammer and have a good day. <laughs> and when we come back, we want to see a menorah. That's amazing to me. Mm. Yes. Right. So I, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, that's fine. So it's the Sabbath, and then we've got, I would say, the third here, just to continue to summarize, would be the golden calf. Yeah. Big deal. Um, right. And then the, the last two, I think we could bucket under one, the concept of the renewal of the covenant. I think that's very okay. important. Okay. And then even separate than that is this somewhat lengthy and in depth description of the shining of Moshe's face. Yeah. All right, so I want to I want to so leave the, the shining of the face at the back. Okay, so I, that's I'm that's how you. I would summarize. So yeah, we can. I like that. We can begin to. So what's what's right before the shining of his face? Probably the renewal of the covenant. This yeah. description. Yeah. And oh, this week it was so interesting. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was talking about how the very same word that God uses when he is upset and says. This is a stiff-necked people. I am going to wipe them out and start fresh with you, Moshe. Is the exact same word, stiff-necked, that Moshe says in his plea to Hashem to go back and, yeah. and not do the evil yeah. that he said. Uh, and he was, uh, the, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was pointing out, like, it's this unbelievable paradox with the Jewish people where the very thing that causes them to not accept God, being stiff-necked, being stubborn, and not seeing what's all around them and accepting God is the very thing that later is what will never Preserve. let them let go right. of the faith that they at some point acquire. Yeah, that's true. It was a really cool description because if, we, if I remember the, uh, the specific spot here, it was where Moshe, I mean, you know, he said, yeah, just... Right here, it's uh, 34, 8. It says, Moshe hastened to bow his head toward the ground and prostrate himself. And then verse 9, he said, If I have now found favor in your sight, my Lord, let my Lord go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and you shall forgive our iniquity and our error and make us your heritage. The Hebrew word there, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out, can actually not just be the word for, it is a stiff-necked people, but... Because, because they're stiff -necked. Is, a, is, is a stiff necked people. Yeah. And so this is so cool because we, on Tuesday nights, have been studying Revelation. And there is the parts where it talks about the persecution of the saints. It makes it sound like it doesn't matter what the nations throw at those saints. They are not letting go of their faith. They are the most stubborn and steadfast. And that's just the description of it. I think it's Revelation 14. Maybe in a little 13 too. It just, you read it and you're like, wow, they are enduring everything and are not letting go at that's all right. of that faith. And that's what made me yeah. think of this description here is that because it's a stiff necked people, you need to forgive people. Almost like because we it's, know it's not later, just a bad thing, it's a good thing. Later, once they come around, they'll never they let, won't you let go. it go. Yeah. Um, in the Greek, you've got the, the word Nike, which is the, you know for the shoe. Right, it's overcomer. That's that's what that is. That's why Nike chose that as their company name, right? To overcomer, um, and that's what they did. And they overcame them hmm. because of their testimony and their endurance. Yeah, they just stuck it out. Yeah. Outstanding. Thank you. Okay, so um, I I don't really want to talk about the golden calf because it's a really bummer. What about the labor? 
That's another interesting thing that I read about that. So, we're, we're, this is like the last piece of furniture, right? What? I, well, yeah, I guess the last piece of furniture. Right, and it's outside, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's going to sit between the altar itself, where they're killing the animals, and the tabernacle itself. Mm -hmm. So tent of meeting. You've got the you've got the sacrifice made by the priests, but the priests can't do any of that unless they wash their hands and their feet. And it's serious enough to where it says, when they approach to serve to raise up smoke, they shall wash their hands and feet and not die. Yeah. I mean, it was that serious yeah. that this, this is a very important piece of furniture for yeah. sure. Has anyone seen like the way that the Temple Institute has made it? Yeah, it's, I never, but so you you always think of like well, you know, mine, sometimes this is described as basin. Mine says urn. Yeah, you see, you think of kind of this pot thing. Whoa, the way that they have it at the Temple Institute is it's basically a giant sink where it's a huge copper thing, and there's yeah. spouts on the outside yeah, it's, it's that almost, you you turn the spout so that you could wash your hands and, and your, your feet, feet yeah. right there. More like a fountain. More like a basin. fountain, exactly. As opposed to something that you're like dipping your feet into or dipping yeah. your hands into. Well, I, it was I just would... it was really cool to see the way that the the way that it was actually created yeah. as opposed to just the English word we're reading here. I I, I liken it to the water tower. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, you see the water tower over here the, it's the highest point in uh, in that county. What county are you in? Union. Union County, yeah, the High Stallings. Point Union County, is where Easy Smith's body yes. shop is. Yes. And there's a water tower there. Why is the water tower there? Because Easy Smith is there. No, no, no. It's because it's the highest point in the county. And they want the water to be able to flow down. But if you take that water tower and pretty much chop it in half so it's just a big bowl and then put spigots around the side, that's what we're looking at. It was huge. Held a lot of water. Yeah. And had enough pressure behind it where... All you gotta do is open the spigot and you can actually wash. Amazing. Hmm. Yeah, good point. I like that. You had your hand up, sir. So, in the commentary on the side, it says, well, first, for the golden calf, I know Mrs. Katrina doesn't really want to talk about this, but the golden about calf? The gold. Yeah, that doesn't mean you can't made, talk about it. I'm just not gonna talk to you. That made the golden calf, well, apparently it's a, it says in verse 2 of 32. Aharon said to them, Remove the rings of gold that are on the ears of your wives, sons, daughters, and bring them to me. The entire people removed the gold rings that were in their hands and brought them to Aaron. He took it from the hands and bound it up in cloth and fashioned it into a molten calf. Now, for there being just very thin pieces of gold shaped into rings, that's a lot of gold. And apparently... In the commentary on the side, it says that only about 3,000 out of 600,000 men participated in the Golden Calf. And that's not including all the wives, their wives, sons, and daughters who had gold earrings and jewelry. So, if that was just out of all the jewelry that everyone was wearing, just think of how much more gold that they had in to Everybody use else. for what? Everybody else. Yes. Yeah. And all that gold that they took from Mitzrayim, huge blocks of gold for the menorah and the what else? And the altar and the uh, ark. 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 Yeah. ark. Yes. And that's just a lot of gold for just to be out there. Yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. I also heard, I think it was from Tim Hegg's commentary this week, there's some commentaries that would suggest it was similar to the, the other construction in that the middle was wood and it was gold overlay. Oh. Which, and, and this is actually kind of interesting, but it was, they get that from the fact that somehow Moshe was able to grind up mm -hmm. this powder it, and it burned because it was technically wood on the inside, gold overlaid on it, and then that was what he made the people drink. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting too because I was thinking the same thing. It's not that much gold for what seems like it's the solid piece of of calf or yeah, so, anyway. Well, how big was the calf? 
not sure. Right. 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 So I'm thinking, look behind you, right? There's an elephant on the uh, second shelf there. I'm thinking, you know, good, about that size. <laughs> oh. You laugh, but that's what I'm thinking. It was a little, you know, little tiny thing, you know. This is your dog, you drunk. That's right. Here it is. That's true because and the thing is, he said, I put it all into a pot and out came this cat. That's it. So it it could have been a whole lot smaller than we were. Maybe it wasn't the size of a large milk cow. Maybe. Maybe. Another thing is the connection is of the three thousand that Josiah said out of 600,000 that mm -hmm. participated, it also says that around 300,000, sorry, that 3,000 fell that day. Exactly. Oh, well, yeah. that, that was just about to ask, how do we know that that's true? And it's because that's who Hashem had killed. That's right. Afterwards. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So the incense. Mm. What did that smell like? Frankincense. Mm. Wait, can you describe the smell of frankincense? Nope. No, me neither. I think we need a little help there, Mr. Bartos. Uh, that is... I don't know What's how the real answer? To, what's that? What's the real answer? It smelled really good. I mean, I don't know how... See, that's the thing. I don't know what all the of these The answer is always Jesus, right? Yeah. No, I know the answer is Jesus, but yeah. Okay, so I guess the point here is... No one now knows what it smelled like. Right. Because we're not allowed to make this unless it's being used for this. But, but to my point, the one thing we do know is that it was a pleasing aroma. Yes. And the Yushai Fleischer show this So is burning flesh to the, to the Lord. <laughs> I really don't enjoy it very much. Well, it's basically like the grill. Animal flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Burning animal flesh. Yeah, it's a barbecue. Yeah, you know what? There's a big difference between me... Grilling my steak versus burning my steak. And you know what? My wife knows when I burn the steak. It's not a pleasing aroma. Well, yeah. that's a good point. However, this does say the handiwork of a perfumer. So the, the interesting thing from this week's uh, Yushai Fleischer show, notice who I'm trying to be like now. The, um, <laughs> it, was, it was so interesting. Rabbi Mike Foyer had talked about a couple of the Midrash points around this this incense. Obviously, it's not here in the text, but I did think this was really interesting. One of the things that was from the Midrash was that traditionally, during, when this was happening, none of the women would wear perfume mm. so as not to uh, con conflict with the amazing smell that this created. It was cool so good and so pleasing and it would fill the whole camp with the smell that nobody wanted to, to make another up. smell yeah. because it was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's why I, I thought that was kind of interesting. He also said that when the, when the incense was thrown on there, it was so powerful that goats in Lebanon would sneeze. That was another thing from the Midrash. He thought that was kind of funny. It is kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny. Because yeah. it was done in Jerusalem. And yeah, it was very far away, and the, the goat would wow, sneeze. The goat would sneeze. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Anyway. Okay. So... So the labor. There was just something interesting about that that I wanted to point out. So okay. this word here is a... Is a nachashet is the word here for copper or bronze labor. And... There was a great article this week from First Roots Design who was pointing out there is sort of a mystical understanding of that the root of this is nachash, which is the word for serpent. Snake, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and how there's this, this midrash that says that the word nachash's numerical value, the gematria, is the same as the word mashiach. Why is that? Mm. And it goes on to say, well, because... There is the good serpent, so to speak, which is Mashiach, and the evil serpent, which is Hasatan. And the, the, it went, the article went to flush out kind of this idea, which, because on the surface that sounds a little weird, but then at the same time, Yeshua himself actually describes himself as just like the bronze serpent that, is being lift, that was lifted up in the wilderness that saved the people, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And I, that was just, that really brought it home, that this was a very 
this is a, a unique piece of furniture in the tabernacle that does represent Messiah. And then, of course, it's hard not to think about what's the first thing I think a lot of Christians, at least, would think about if you described washing someone's hands and feet. And it's the master. The master. Is it, uh, that he would not only be the savior, be the bronze serpent that would save the people, but would but also be so humble and be a servant that he would also wash the hands and feet. Here's something else to think about if you want to, you know, bless your blesser. Yeah. The sages say that the numerical value is the same between the serpent and the Mashiach. But if you look in the book of Revelation, we actually have a reference to the number or the numerical value of the anti-Messiah. And we're given the number as if we're given a reason why people will be persuaded, persuaded, why they would be faked out, because there is a parallel, there is a similarity. Mm. You just need to understand this is Spock with a beard, not Spock without a beard. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that is cool. But I, I think this was, this is a really... So I, I thought about this piece of furniture like that before, but yeah. I do think that it it does it points to Messiah. And it, I mean, even if you take that a step further, we all I'm sure have heard that tradition that the where did they get the stuff to make this thing? Mm. It was from the women from mm. their mirrors, yeah, yeah. and that was what they used in order to be beautiful for their husbands, so that they could continue on their families, even in the midst of slavery in Egypt, right, right. and how that was so pleasing to God, that the union of a husband and a wife meant a lot to him, that at first, you know, there was sort of a tradition, I think it may have been in the Midrash, that said that Moshe was like, no, 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 we can't use those, we know what those were being used for, you know, we, we don't really want to be reminded of that, but, but God said, no, 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 that was very special. Yeah. The whole idea of like a, a husband and wife coming together and, and being a family is very special, yeah. and we absolutely want to remember that. Nice. I like so it was, it was a, it's a neat. So neat. let me ask you a question. Were the tablets of the testimony special? Why were they special? One reason. They were in the ark. Not at this point, but yes. They were so special, they were put in the ark, but it doesn't say why they were special, Micah. They were written by the finger of God. They were, I'm talking about the first tablets, so they were not only written by the finger of God, which is awesome to begin with, but also... Written on both sides. Written on both sides, if you're reading the uh, commentary. No, that's in the text. That's in the text. Yeah. Okay. Where is it written? Yeah, I, I was gonna find it real quick because I, yeah, I, I, I always thought that was a commentary too until, yeah, until somebody you, read it. Until you read it. It may it, have yeah. been you that read it. Or maybe I read it. Yeah. All right. So what was another reason why they it was special? They were made by God. Yes. Out. Yes. That's exactly right. So not only written by the finger of God, but carved out of stone by his his. I guess if his finger can write on stone, I imagine his hand can just kind of carve stone, but that's pretty cool. So where are we at now? That we've got, uh, they were written on both sides? Yeah, yeah. Written on both yeah. sides. It's written on both sides. And then, it doesn't say that about the second set. No. There was a difference there, right? That we have less, less words, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so I have in mind, Moshe turned and came down from the mountain, bearing the two tablets of the testimony. I'm at 3215, by the way in his hand, tablets inscribed so that the letters could miraculously be read from both their sides. You're probably talking about 3215, right? Oh, yes, that is. Because in this regular version, it just says tablets inscribed on both sides. They're yes. inscribed They're on inscribed one side on and sides. the other. Correct. Yeah. Which is really like duplex printing. I mean, it's not a big deal. But I get it. I think it's interesting. that about the second it does not say about the second set. So, in a nutshell, would we say that these tablets, the first tablets, were special? Yeah. Yes. Priceless? Yes. Irreplaceable? Yes. yes. 
valuable. No. Yes. yes. Well, kind of. Depends on who you're talking about. For God's people, they would be priceless. But for other people in the world who didn't believe in God... I'm talking about God's people. Okay, yes. Then they okay. <laughs> it's interesting That's that you... the economist from, talking. Yeah. It's interesting we move from priceless, demand? yes, to valuable, questionable. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Are you with me? Are you working with me? Yeah. All right. So I've got a question for you. Are you, are you, are you, are you check for hot tea? What are you doing there? Get an Uber? Okay. So stop reading for a second. I'm working. So... Your, your compadres here have said that these tablets were top shelf, priceless, valuable, irreplaceable, written on both sides. You agree with that? There are two sides to this. Well, there's two sides to the tablets, too. That's curious <laughs> that you come up with that. So, on what are side, the two sides? There are two slabs of rock with some engravings in them. Sure. Not yeah. valuable at all. Sure. This but is the rock. to Israel, they have great spiritual value because mm. okay. God has literally taken his finger and written on the tablets. So tell me, even if you were not a believer, let's say you're a pagan, and you were told that these rocks were cut out from whole stone by the hand of the living God, written on by his own finger on both sides. You don't think there'd be any intrinsic value there, at least to a market? These are markets. Today, yes. Today. But back then? Back then, no. No one would care. They didn't care about money. I wouldn't say No stock market? <laughs> they, would hold, they hold historical value now. Okay, so. Except they're probably Piles of dust. Okay, so, of so, dust. so, you know, work with me now. I, I'm, I'm, it's curious that you would put time into the equation for value. So they were just really nothing special when it came down the mountain, but if we put them in a sack and saved them for 200 years, they'd be worth a small fortune, yes? Yes. I would have to say it's similar so to it's someone. So antiquity value to you is really the only thing. From a currency perspective, yes. It's kind of like saying a painting that rock, like Van Gogh painted was like just another painting to him. Sure, at that time. At that time, it was yeah. now worth. I get it, I get it, sure. Literally but no intrinsic value, really. So if a rock falls from the sky, from, from space, <clears throat> and hits the ground, it's really nothing but space debris. But to some people, it does have intrinsic value because it's an alien stone of some type, yes? Yeah. Okay. It's also thousands of years old. Well, that's an amazing assumption on your part, but uh, <laughs> we'll move on so we don't get into that. Dan, are you leading up to they got smashed? Yeah, I'm just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted that Moses did not stop, because, I mean, in the movie, he's coming down the mountain sort of, He'll be coming around, you know, he's going around <laughs> and around, right? So he comes around one time, and, you know, he's moving pretty quick. He's an old guy, but he's moving pretty quick because it's downhill now, right? So he gets past Joshua, who's sitting there, and he goes, what? Joshua says, hey, did you hear that sound? And, you know, back around the next time before he goes, I don't, I don't know that I hear anything on the other side of the mountain. And he keeps going. But, I think it was war. Yeah. It's war. No, 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 it's no. It's not, not the war. It's not conquering. It's not being a, that's, that's. You know, Charlton Heston was ticked. So the question really is, don't you find it curious that Moses didn't stop around the last curve? Yeah, we just dropped to his knees for a moment or two and just say, Lord, I really appreciate this past uh, month and a quarter we spent together. By the way, you didn't feed me. You didn't wash my feet. And you know, all the rest of the stuff that the master goes through uh, for not providing hospitality. But it was a great time personally with you, and I want to thank you. I'm writing a handwritten note to thank you right now, but um, the handwritten note you gave me and the rest of the people, I'm about to bust into dust. He didn't even ask. He comes down, and he destroyed them. And in the movie, they happen to fly directly at the cat, yeah. the that, cat which perfect. blows up, which is pretty cool. I'm thinking now it's got to be really tiny because, you know, <laughs> so, I explain that to myself as um, kind of the irony that God is very angry at the people 
when Moses is still on the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. threatening to destroy them. And Moses suggests that God not be so angry. Right. But then Moses actually reaches that point himself, and he's realizing, <clears throat> like he didn't, he didn't have a full view at the top of the mountain. God says that the people have gone astray, but I don't think Moses really comprehended that they had. Okay. When he gets an actual view, he loses control. He's he's furious. So, because we all do things out of anger that you know you shouldn't have done. I don't think he would have rationally said it was right to smash the tablet. So that's that's. Hang on one second. So that's exactly where I'm going. Morgan said Moses lost control. And he got angry. And we should not get angry. He says he was angry. And I would argue against that. Only because it's oh, fun to argue can, against yeah. Morgan. Because, that's I mean, that's what we've been doing all our lives. It's great. You got what you can take. <laughs> yes, Sophia, what do you think? Yes, exactly right. And God did not say, you shouldn't have broken the tablets, you shouldn't have gotten angry, any of that stuff. I'm thinking of Pincus, Phineas. Do you know Pincus? Zoe, do you know who Pincus is? What's, what do we know about Pincus? What is the number one adjective? He was zealous. Zeal. He was zealous. Outstanding. Was he derided? Or praised. That's the Praise. Praised. The opposite of praised. <laughs> yeah. He was praised. Why was he praised and not derided, Josiah? Because he acted out of zeal on God's behalf. Yeah. Was he angry? Yeah. He was I'm angry. I'm pretty sure he was. Although. And we see in the apostolic scriptures, let me bring it home. Not, no, let me bring it home. I, in I, the I, apostolic I, scriptures, yeah. what does it say? Yeah, I know. So it's for me. I. No, it doesn't say that. What it says is be angry, but sin not. Well, and this would be called righteous indignation or righteous anger. And I think that's exactly what Moses had. Yeah, and, which is and what, I, what Pincus is. Right, so I see that view. But I think this is more comparable to so Picasso comes to the door of the Mishkan. He sees yeah. whatever's going on. Cosby. For him to, you know, for instance, That's the name of the group. light the Mishkan on fire. Well, they're they're desecrating the the temple, the tabernacle. So I'm going to destroy it. Would that have been right? No, that was something. But killing God's. someone in the, who was made in the image of God, well, that's chose, lesser than someone. destroying a tent. Mo- okay. <laughs> well, right. So we have killing in both examples because what Moses goes out to do is to instruct the Levites to kill, and they kill three thousand, right. not two. So we have killing on both sides, but then the dis- um, there isn't. Pinchas does not destroy anything else, and Moses does smash. Right. Like so that. I don't. So my point is that we we shouldn't be comparing them on the actions as much as the response. And my point here is that these were irreplaceable tablets and yet there's never a mention of Moses, I get it. You should have been mad. I was mad. Boy, was I mad. I told you to come down because you needed to deal with it. But did you have to put tablets? I was going to put those in the Ark of the Covenant. They were so cool. I wrote them on both sides. It wasn't any of that. It was... I think zeal for righteousness, zeal for the master. I, I think it Can was righteous anger as well, but I'm just saying that one afterwards, uh, I'm not sure if Moses would have said, yeah, that was the right call. So Moses Moses them. would have second-guessed himself. So yeah, here we learn <laughs> class the word relentless. <laughs> yes, that's my daughter. Relent. No, we would have regretted. He might have regretted. That. Might have regretted. She takes after her father. She does, which is what is okay. so but, endearing but and beautiful. Mean. Okay. I do right. think it is kind of interesting that they broke. Don't you? Have you ever thrown rocks? They don't usually break. Well, if, yeah. you, if they hit gold. Even that then, that is very far-fetched that they would. <laughs> well, I suspect that as the sages say, they were nearly transparent because they were so thin. Mm. Then they would have broken. Other commentaries suggest that they were 
very heavy, and that and the weight of the letters they all well yeah that the the engraving all went back up to heaven yeah that's how so much they so light you know that that he could throw them now yeah. actually that would explain it very well if he looked down and the tablets were blank because God took the letters back then we got to we got to throw these away them. right yeah. out of the yes. Yelkut Shimoni. that's right these that these tablets aren't worth anything anymore the writing is gone and in fact it, it would encourage you to I I got to break these yes they're just trash. Good, yeah, and good. I, there is kind of an interesting. I mean, another, there, there is that difference between like the way that these were created. We we would say that the first tablets seemed to be created by God. Yes. And then the second tablets, Moshe had to come with the carved out stones. Yeah. Hashem commands him go make some like yeah. first ones. Now it's a workout opportunity. I'll write them. You came up the mountain before, just on your own steam. Now I want you to carry weights in each arm. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I've always Step found ups. that because uh, I mean that that concept is kind of interesting. This this shows up a lot in like the Chabad theology. It's this idea of if Man everything helping. right, if yeah. everything is done by God, it's less likely that people are going to accept it. Sure. Versus, they are contributing participating somehow. With God. They're participating yes. somehow, yes. and I do think this introduces an interesting concept of that. Yeah. That it is the second ones where this covenant is renewed. I think that is really interesting. I like that, Micah. Yeah. Well, the Jews, the tablets worth this. I just wonder. It's kind of like the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is in control of the Muslims, right? It's actually under the control of Israel. It is. Yes. Which one is in control of Muslims? Well, believe it or not, it's the Muslims that are allowed to worship on the top of the Temple Mount, but it is Israel who's in charge of it and will not let Israelis pray. And it is Israeli soldiers that stop Israelis because Muslims are given full control. But I get where you're coming from. Would be kind of like that. To other people, it's just a... It's not a big deal. Rock. You're right. You're but right. to the Jews, it's absolutely priceless. Absolutely. It's where God's home was built. That's right. You're right. And, and that's why uh, uh, Rabbi Gimpel went up there just to pray and got arrested by Israeli IDF soldiers for praying on the Temple Mount. But it's that preciousness of wanting to pray there is important to Muslims. And it's important to Jews. Yeah, it's good for Muslims and the ones that are locked up. All right. Uh, so real quick though, while yeah. we're on that subject, don't you find it so cool the timing that while Moshe is up on the mountain, the people participate in this idolatry, and before Moshe sees anything, he already petitions to God. I thought I thought the timing was very interesting. I hadn't really noticed that this year, but. It, we have a description of what's happening down below. Right. Moshe has no idea. It's God that actually says it. And he says, oh, the, this the people, people you, you brought out of, out of Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah they've gone astray. Right. And he's like, and before Moshe sees anything, God is about to, he's saying, like, this is what I planned. They're, they're getting wiped out. Before Moshe sees the calf, sees the people, sees what's happening at all, he has, it's just this unbelievable love for the people that it, it would be very similar in my mind to the way that a parent would respond. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes to you and they say, you wouldn't believe what your children are doing. That's it, I'm arresting them. And before you even interacted with your child, you would say, please don't do that. I know my child. And I know that, they didn't, that that's not, this isn't the right way of handling that. Uh, it's like this intercession that happens even before, but even before, because yeah. obviously he is mad when he sees them, sure. but like, before that, I mean, I, I just, I feel like... A parent would be as well. What's that? A parent would be as well. A parent would be as well. Absolutely, they would be. But just that moment when you are in front of the authority, standing in the gap between your child and the authority, it's, it, you yeah. see that Even very clearly you know with motion. You would, you would certainly step I mean that, in and intercede. That's incredible. That yeah. really is. I mean, he, he saves the people because of that. Yeah. And I, 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 it reminds me of Yeshua when he's on the cross where he's like, just yeah, forgive them. them. They, they don't really they know, know what they're, they're doing. doing. I'm, I'm reminded of that every time I, I do the prayer service, and it talks about Moses 
and how he was a faithful servant. Mm. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Did these guys read the work the, the book of Hebrews? The master's called the faithful servant in God's household. Yeah. Moses is so many ways a forerunner and a, a foreshadower of the Messiah. Mm. And he he does it. He nails it. He does everything right. That one thing with the stick. But you know, let's not talk about that today. All right, let's. Um, Where are we at? Yeah, let's close it up with uh, the uh, the second challenge we're going here. We got the thirteen attributes, which we do on our own. Oh, that's cool. While while you're looking, I I, I do think that I, I I'm not very good at asking these kind of questions. I like when others ask them. Others that are much more wise than me, but like the Yishai Fleischer show, they were talking about it, and it, of course the question here is like, why was it two tablets? Why two? Could have been one. So what would have been what would have been wrong if it was just one tablet where you wrote everything? It wasn't like, you know, God ran out of room and he needed another set of tablets. It was very deliberately two tablets mm -hmm. representing the covenant, and. There, there were apparently a, a lot of different versions of it. The couple that I remember was one was, it says right before it talks about the first pair of tablets when it talks about Shabbat, that it was a sign between heaven and earth. So it was like, this was meant to represent heaven and earth. This is represent two different worlds, this world and the world to come, representing you know, the, the uh, union of a husband and a wife, you know, there are two become one. And there's a couple yeah. of, of yeah. other Plus you've got the descriptions. Vertical commands and the horizontal commands, right? Right, right. But it is it is just kinda cool because we do refer to them as the the tablets. Like they're it, it in in our minds they are one, but they're two still. It's just kinda cool, right? It's sort of the idea behind Hashem and his bride. Uh, that again, going back to all of yeah. that we're reading in Revelation yeah. and yeah. all of the the end time stuff that we're, yeah. we're we've been reading, it, it just got me thinking so much more about that. Like, wow, even in this these ten things, like God wanted to still represent that out of this one covenant, there are still two, two pieces aspects. to it. Yeah, yeah. it's like just uh, flannel graphs. It's the you know yeah. one piece. With it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but yeah, but it definitely well, describes want you to have hands, have right? It, it, his hands plural. I also. Well, right, I think this. they were separate, but it's yeah. pictured. But, right, I've seen it's it pictured. As right. One. I also I thought it was kind of funny we when we made this little poster for Shavuot. Yeah. I wanted it to be as accurate as possible, so I took the passage of the Ten Commandments and I split it right at that fifth commandment, right, when that one ends and the sixth one begins, and put that on one tablet and put the other on the, the second tablet. And I had never seen the visual before of just how drastically weighted the first five commandments are in terms of just words. And again, we can all know that. You just did the motions, right? But right after that fifth one of honor your father and mother, they're pretty rapid yeah. fire. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't yeah, do this. literally, like, the, yeah, and then that's it. The longest one is the last one. Don't yeah. covet it because, because it adds like your neighbor's wife and your neighbor's donkey and your neighbor's yeah. house. But I mean, wow, those first five have so many words compared to the second five. And I just thought that was kind of interesting from like a, like a weakness. Like Number one, like we have, a lot of us have understood that, meaning like the first one is sort of that relationship between you and God. And then the second one is the relationship between you and man. But that, again, just if we needed an extra reminder of the importance of honoring your father and mother and how that is on the side that's the heavily weighted... That's the heavy side. That's the heavy side. I always it's thought the, of that being the heavy side. It's yeah. the heavy side and it's the side that, yeah, is, is that connection yeah. between you and God. It's, it's an amazing thing. So I just wanted to throw I that like out that. there. I like that. So Mom and I saw something for the first time this year. Menachem said... When the people of God received the first set of tablets, they were tzaddikim. When they received the second set of tablets, they were bal tshuva. Mm. Wow. Think about that. Yep. That's cool. That is cool.
That is cool. Okay, so we'll close up with this concept of Moshe is just like the greatest thing since sliced bread, which, by the way, is pretty cool. Um, you probably haven't experienced going to the bakery and buying bread and it's not sliced. You get this hunk of bread, and what are you going to do with that now? You tear off pieces? You're going to try and cut it straight? You yeah. can't. No. You can't. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to make a sandwich. And one thing is going to be this thick, and the other one you can see light through, right? Well, all the peanut butter falls out into your lap. Yeah. Oh, don't you? What? Yeah. All right. So, this brings us to the Haftarah, which is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. So, it, I don't want to get into a heavy discussion. But the bottom line is that uh, Paul does something that is absolutely incredible. So, Josiah, let's just say you're a Jew. Who's probably the top shelf ultimate Jew? Don't count Messiah. The top shelf ultimate Jew that you would never want to compare yourself to. I mean, it would sound like you're just boasting and being a real jerk. Who's, who's, who's top shelf? Who's the only one you would never compare yourself to? Probably Moshe. Probably Moshe. And yet that's exactly what Paul does. He writes to the uh, assembly in Corinth the second time. He says, you know, you guys, you guys are, are you're our letters. You're, it's so obvious you're saved. Your lives are such a great example. But I want you to know that we've got a better ministry. We did better than Moses. And he starts talking about the whole veil. Or I thought this, I don't know, what, what version is that? Mask. Mask. Right? You know, I'm just, that is cool. He's got a mask on. Well, they're very different, right? Because with the veil, you might be able to see through it, but everything would be kind of fuzzy, but it's flat. Mask, you, your you eyes. Must, you can't see through it. Well, you're going to see the eyes, but that's about well, it, right? right? So the person wearing it could see. Like, yeah. you could actually do things with it on. Well, you can do it with a veil, because normally the veil wouldn't cover your eyes. It would just come up to here. No, that's a muscle women's thing. What well, they call it a veil? Like a, <laughs> no, they don't. They call it a hijab or something. <laughs> yeah, it's over your whole head. Well, the bridal veil, the bride can actually walk. Yeah. <laughs> She's guided. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just pointing out that with the veil, you're a little bit more incapacitated as far as what you can do. Yeah. Limited. Like you're, okay. Yeah. You can't yeah. really see a lot. Mask would be an interesting translation because yeah. then his, his eyes could, like, yeah. Either way, <laughs> the scripture clearly says that Moses put this on, whether it's a mask, a veil, or just a fake beard. Um, <laughs> but. Paul makes it clear that you know, bottom line is they had he had a better success rate than Moses did. How many got saved in Moses' day? Six hundred thousand? Two. I'm thinking two. Two. Maybe three. Let's see, Caleb. <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> Moses? Aaron? He died. They all died. You're right, except <laughs> for two. Two. So he, out of 600,000, two. <laughs> you know, hey, two's better than one. I get it. What was Paul's message? Paul's message was, we had the same ministry, we got the same message, and you Corinthians, just you Corinthians, put me over the top compared to Moshe. Why? What was different? What was Moshe not allowed to do? He was not allowed to tell the people about Yeshua. That's why he was the glory of the Torah was hidden. Who is the glory of the Torah? Yeshua. Who is the living Torah? Yeshua. Who did they not see? Even today, when we first got into this walk, you were too young, but your mother was looking at me and going, I don't get it. It's right there. It's so apparent. How can these Jews not get it? 
Because your mother was just like the rest of us. We were all saying the same thing. How did they not get it? How can they not see this? And what's the answer? They were blinded. They were blinded. Partially. By whom? God. Why? For you. As simple as that. So every time Moses was talking to the people, they couldn't see the light of the Torah. They couldn't see the glory of the Torah. They couldn't see the end, the goal, the telos. Whatever you want to call it, they couldn't see him. They were prohibited from seeing, and they all died in the wilderness. That's what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, but my ministry, our ministry, was so much better. Why? Because you guys got saved. Why? Because you saw Yeshua. You saw Yeshua in the Torah. Because there was no New Testament. There were no apostolic scriptures. They got saved reading the Torah. How? There's no veil. The veil had been lifted. They saw Yeshua. They saw the need for a Savior. They saw the sacrifice of God. And they got saved. And Paul's like, I beat Moses. I beat Moses. That's 2 Corinthians 3. I mean, you can sing it anytime you want, but I mean, that's what he's doing. I bet they had fun right now in heaven. Must be cool. We got you, bro. But I had a cool burial plot. But Moses gets a second chance, right? I mean, I'm just assuming he's one of the two witnesses. Oh, right. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. All right, comments on Second Corinthians 3, on the veil or the mask or the shroud, whatever. What did you call it? I was trying to... Okay, quick, quick. What are, the, what are the Muslims called? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so I think you said hashish. Hashish? No, yeah, it's not hashish. That would be the cloud, but I don't think that's, that's the wrong kind of cloud. Yeah. yeah. I, I was trying to remember, and maybe you could all help me. Is there another time where somebody interacts with God, doesn't die, and then has some kind of physical change like this? Absolutely. Like what happens with Moshe? I was trying to remember. Absolutely. Ah, well, okay. Jacob with the hip. Yes. Jacob with the hip and? Elijah. Eh? Oh, Paul with Paul the eye. Paul with the pussy eye. Ew. Yeah. Well, Both of those are he was caught up to the third worse than Moshe. No, no, we, we think it was an eye. I thought it was a skin irritation. Are we going to argue about what it was? The Bible doesn't say. My Bible says he had a pussy eye. No. Yeah, you're right. But he was given a thorn in the side, in the flesh. Thorn in the flesh. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. Those, so those, Moses, Moses came out on the high road. Well, absolutely, because I just. I, oh, I, well, of course he does. It really is unbelievable. Well, I just meant that. But that had to do with something. Allegedly. Right. Yeah. Because it 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 really is unbelievable. I mean, number one, I think that is kind of cool that clearly one of the best physical constructs that we can that we have that we can wrap our heads around to describe God biblically is light because that's what we see here like so he says I want I want to see your glory right and I just think that it's kind of interesting that it, it is so powerful that it ends up affecting himself because he starts shining too yeah but I, I there's just something so cool about that because you know obviously the science of light is all, all is so mysterious yeah, to begin with. I wouldn't I wouldn't go through the science of light. I don't think it's necessary. I think I think I'm reminded of oh I don't know thirty almost thirty seven years ago. I met your mother-in-law and I was smitten and I went to church with her at her church and there was a handful four or five old women and they knew we were in love before they even met me they just saw me with mom and they knew we were in love because my face was shining different kind of shine but they could tell by looking at me I I was changed. So I, th I think that 
it doesn't need to be as ethereal as chemical properties of light and whether it's a beam of you know particle or or, or, or a or a wave or, or a wave <laughs> or, or um, but he was changed because he was in the presence of of the master. I get that. I'm more taken by the description of when he you know puts his hand puts him in the cleft of the rock and all that. And I just get such a kick out of watching the sages squirm because God's got some kind of anthropomorphic properties. He walks just like he did in the garden. He talks just like he did in the garden. I can't let you see my face because if you see my face, you'll realize I'm Al Capone and I'll have to kill you. No. I, no man can see my face and live. But I care about you. So I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock, which is a crack. I'm going to put you in this crack in the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. Now he's got a hand. I'm going to walk past you. I'm going to take my hand away so you can see my back. Now he's got a back. Is it uh, Rambo's list of attributes? Yes. Rambam says absolutely no, no corporeal physical properties. And it's due to this that they want to push that away. And, of course, Christianity, because it became flesh and dwelt among us. But can you imagine? I mean, you're talking Star Trek here, right? You got a man who lands on a planet he's never been on, top of the mountain. And he interfaces, not with just a God, but the God. And I, I mean, I don't care if you're Cecil B. DeMille or Roddenberry. You can't, you can't, you can't make this work any better than the way it's, it's described. He physically interfaced with and was touched by God. That's extraordinary. Yes? I was also thinking about um, people who have seen God and whether, rather than being physically changed had physical changes prevented. Like in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead of being burned, they were not burned. That's good. That's good. Do you have another example? Yeah, that's the only one that came to my mind, too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, you could say those are three examples. That's very <laughs> clever. So you've got three times as many as when you started. That's, that's clever. I was thinking Daniel in the lion's den, but there was no physical manifestation, but obviously he was highly esteemed. And he saw a vision after that on the water there, but not a physical thing. Isn't the description where Paul, um, where Paul is Saul and he falls off? Yeah, again, that. Isn't that like an extreme light or something like that? Yeah, he sees light. They don't see light. They hear the voice, but they can't understand it. But they didn't see light. But again, you, you know, it's more of an ethereal thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. This seemed to be a physical deal, mm -hmm. and it's so akin to Adam walking in the cool of the day in the garden with the master. I mean, I just, it's extraordinary. Yeah. You know? I, I was going to say, yeah, remember when we heard um, uh, that thing about how Mount Sinai is actually kind of like that painting from Sistine Chapel? You know, of, uh, of God, God reaching out. Like that, yeah, with the, the with one the, where it's like, yeah, hands. God yeah. and Adam. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, I don't know if it was so much like that in the garden, but Mount Sinai, that's really that is really physical interaction. Yeah. Like that's yeah. Like kind of a cool picture. God came God down came to down. the top of the mountain, right. and, and that's a physical thing. I mean, yeah. if those words are physical. And Moses went up to the top right. of the mountain. Stand on this the top connection. of the mountain, and I'll meet you there. Yeah. Wait a minute. If I'm on the top of the mountain, and I just came up the mountain, you're going to meet me there? How's that going to happen? Where are you coming from? Helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Final comments? Josiah, got anything? We're good? Mm -hmm. Alan, you good? Ladies, you were amazing. How many commandments were there? So was, that's a question for you. There were ten. There were ten. How many are there now? You don't know. Did it change? There's still ten. How many tablets? The first time. How many tablets? The first time. 
How many tablets the second time? Two. You sure? Yes, you done. And that's four in total. <laughs> <laughs> We've been working, working on, on our math. math. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And the, the gematria of tablet is time to go home. All right. I don't know. Who wants to pray for me? You've been practicing? No. All right, then you're stuck. Pray for us. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the time that we had today. We thank you for this time of learning, this time of fellowship and community. Pray that over this next week, as we go out into our daily lives, that you will bless us. We thank you for the great jobs and lives that you've given to each of us and to our families. Yes, Father. And we pray for your grace and glory. And I'm uh, sorry, we pray for your grace and we glorify you as we go through this next week. Mm -hmm. For all these things in the name of Messiah, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing pretty good.